0: Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nap- Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of the oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the blooded garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being here, all of you. Good heavens. <laughs> um, it's been a minute since I've been up here, so bear with me. I'm a nurse by trade, not a speaker, and but I'm excited. Um, so let's pray real quick. Lord, we invite you here. We know that you're here with us already, and I'm thankful to get to be here and with my, my family uh, to share what you've Uh, brought for us today. So I pray that you would shine and that uh, people wouldn't hear me. So thank you for loving us and bringing us together. We just wait for you to, to speak to our hearts. So tune our hearts to listen, Lord, when we pray all of this in your precious name. Amen. So here we are. It's that time of year. It's my favorite season. It really is. I love the music, Phil, I love the music. I listen to it, i probably start in July, really. It brings me happiness. (laughs) I am that person. I love the music, I love the lights, I love the excitement, I love the hope, I love the anticipation, I love the waiting. (laughs) We wait a lot. There's so much waiting. We wait for the FedEx truck. (laughs) We wait for the UPS truck, we wait for the Amazon truck. I read that Americans spend 37 billion hours each year waiting somewhere for some type of goods or service. We Americans, on average, will stand in line for over 390... I'm sorry, 349.7 days over our lifetime. We wait an average of 32 minutes a day in doctors' offices. We wait an average of 21 minutes a day for our significant other to get ready to go out. (laughs) Right? Ryan, you could try to hurry it up a bit. (laughs) We wait 13 hours on hold annually for customer service. I thought it would be more. And 38 hours a year in traffic. We spend six full months of our lives waiting at red lights and I'm not even going to talk about the BMV. <laughs> I remember recently waiting in line at the Kroger pharmacy. This really happened only to get to the front of the line and have them close for lunch. <laughs> they almost broke us that day. All right, I did read that we spend 20 minutes a day in the bathroom. Now. I don't know about your house, but in my house, I know that I spend at least 30 minutes a morning waiting to use my own bathroom. Now, I didn't go to math college, but if you extrapolate that out over an average American lifespan, I'm waiting at least one year, two months, and 12 days over my own lifetime to use my bathroom. And I know, there are two bathrooms. (laughs) And I know I'm being silly, but we are all truly waiting for something right now, aren't we? Or maybe waiting for someone, maybe somebody to bring peace to the Middle East, someone to fix the crisis we have here in America with racial division or poverty, human trafficking, or with our broken political system. Or maybe somebody to help a little closer to home, maybe someone to help with our depression or anxiety, or maybe someone with an answer to the diagnosis, or maybe someone who can give us financial advice or a job offer, or someone who can just get through to our teenager, or offer just a little help with the kids. Someone who wants to work on the broken relationship, or someone who can just offer a little hope, As our calendar year closes, and the sun seems to hide his face, and as we march toward the longest night of the year, on this, the fourth Sunday before Christmas, Advent begins. And today we start our new series, our Advent series on hope. (laughs) And we're joining other vineyards, at least across the United States, uh, in this study of Tish Harrison Warren's new book. Uh, It's called Advent. The season of hope. It's a part of the fullness of time series. It um, goes through the liturgical calendar. Um, The first day of Advent is our Christian New Year's Day, and Advent means arrival. And in Christian communities around the world, Advent refers to a four-week season of remembering and celebrating and awaiting the arrival of Jesus on earth. It's a time to reflect. We begin our Christian year in waiting. Of course, we believe that Jesus has already come. He's already ushered in the kingdom of God. He already lived. He already died. He already resurrected. He already brought the Spirit. He gave us His Holy Spirit. So why do we remember each year? Why we why do we re-enter a season of waiting and, and looking forward? What are, we, what are we waiting for? Well, in our book, Tish tells us that there are two ways of talking about time in the Greek language, and the Greek language is what the New Testament was written in. One name for time is Chronos. Chronos is time as we walk it out. It's how we experience it. It's days, months, weeks, years, seconds, hours. Um, this, this is Chronos time. This is Ryan waiting in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> as we drove across the country. <laughs> it was a long trip. <laughs> I'm going to take a drink because we laugh at that. <laughs> the other, fu- the other uh, way to identify time is called kairos. Um, it, and it's the fullness of time. It is, it's the time of eternity. It's the, the moments that feel outside of time. It's the moments that we feel like God is breaking in. And we've all experienced these moments in time. It's maybe you experienced it today in worship. Or maybe it's times when you say that final goodbye to a loved one. Or maybe it's the first time you held a newborn baby. Maybe it's when you're looking out across the ocean. Or when you're standing and looking out a, out a vast mountain range. Or when you listen to a symphony. Or... Look at a Van Gogh painting or watch a an athlete break all the odds. It's those moments that you can't deny that there's a creator and he's breaking in. Advent happened in Kronos in real lifetime, but it breaks into Kairos because we Christians believe that that there's not just one coming of Christ, there are three the coming of Christ in the incarnation, adventus redemptionis, the coming of redemption, the coming of Christ in the last days, adventus glorificamus, and the coming, oh, that's the coming of Christ in glory, and the coming of Christ now in our present moment through the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try to say this. Adventus sanctificationis. Thank you. (laughs) I practiced so hard (laughs) I had to call my son (laughs) the coming of holy things or holiness advent actually celebrates or holds all of these three comings of Christ into one past present and future And in her book, Tish states that the season of Advent calls us out of our time-bound moment to remember and enter the story of the first Christmas. This is Kairos. We actually join the people of Israel in their waiting for for the Messiah. We feel their yearning for and their anticipation of the coming King. We imaginatively enter into their longing, into their confusion, their frustration, their sense of broken dreams. The people that they felt year after year, generation after generation. But even from the beginning, the beginning of time, from the beginning of the fall, when sin first entered the world, God put forth hope. In Genesis 3.15, when sin first entered the world, there is the first mention of hope. God, when he's talking to Satan, he says, I will put enmity which is intense hostility. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We have hope because what God initiates, he sustains and he fulfills. His grace and redemption always have the last word. This passage in Genesis is foreshadowing of good news that's yet to come. It's a hint that although brokenness has come and everything seems hopeless, God already has a plan for redemption. And slowly, year after year, generation after generation, promises start to unfold. Through slavery and exile, God gives his people promises. The foretelling of the coming of a Savior whose kingdom would have no end And this is where we're going to join them in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to pull heavily from Tim Mackey of the Bible Project. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible Project, please give them a look up. It's really, uh, it will profoundly uh, impact your life. I'm going to take another drink. (laughs) And you'll hear it. So Isaiah was a prophet, and he came onto the scene about 250 years after King David. Um, And during his time, Israel is in a really uh, dark place. They have turned away from God. They're worshiping other idols. Um, It's just a bad place. The kings are leading them astray. Uh, No one is really worshiping the God of Israel. So this is where we find them. And God has actually just left them to their... Own choices, like they're living out the consequences of their decisions. So, if you're looking for Isaiah in your paper Bible, it's about in the middle of uh, of your book. <laughs> Isaiah is a prophet, so he is trying to tell the people. He's trying to help them find their way back to the Lord. So, let's see. Chapter nine, verse one. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoiced at harvest time, and they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. All right, let's stop here. So in Isaiah verse 1, he's actually talking about something that will happen in his lifetime. Assyria, it's an evil nation in the north, is actually going to come in and invade the lands of zebulun and naphtali and those are just areas in northern israel uh, so assyria is going to come in and take over those nations and this is actually recorded in second kings chapter 15. the king of assyria comes in invades those nations and takes over um, he takes the people and ex um, like what's the word hmm, exiles those people takes them away <laughs> captures them um, takes them back to Assyria, which is thousands of miles away, and we we can kind of understand that right now because we've we've seen these things play out in our our own world. One um, one country comes in, invades another, takes moms, dads, children, grandparents, aunts, uncles away, never to be seen or heard from again. It's a really big deal. It's a dark time. So what Isaiah is referring to. He's saying that God allowed these lands to fall into gloom and to be humbled. But that's not where the story ends. Because he's speaking in the past tense there. He's saying that in the future, God will honor this same region. He he sees that in his day, the, the region is going to be devastated. But he's saying that there's hope in the future. Because when we deal with our generous God, human sin and rebellion never have the last word. We have hope, because what God initiates, He sustains, He fulfills. His grace and redemption always have the last word. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So Assyria came and destroyed the land, deported the people. That's the word I was looking for, deported the people. Things got dark. The people back then were like us. They're thinking, where is God? What is he doing? Is he even paying attention? What about his promises? Isn't he good? Yeah, it's dark. But as Isaiah is saying that for those living in this darkness, light is coming, hope is coming. Verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. God will restore the nation in its joy, and it's going to be like harvest. Now, I know we live in Ohio, but we're not all farmers. (laughs) (laughs) But we understand that you plant your seeds in the spring, right? Then you water. Then you hope for good weather. You weed, you fight the deer you pray for rain, <laughs> you pray for the rain to stop, <laughs> you repeat, and your crops grow. The harvest comes, your hopes are fulfilled, and there's joy, there's hope, your your hope is fulfilled, There's there's so much joy, and he's saying that that's what this joy is like, it's like when your hopes are fulfilled, when your crop comes after all this work, he's saying this joy is like when soldiers find victory in their battle and they're, they're dividing their spoils. Verse four, for you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, their shoulders being Israel's shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. Now the day of Midian is referring to a well-known event that happened in Israel's history. It's recorded in Judges. Um, There was a man named Gideon, an Israelite, who um, fought a battle against the Midianites. Gideon had 300 people in his army, no swords. They fought with clay pots and uh, torches against the Midianites, who had 135,000 people, and they won. It's a good story. You should read it. And Isaiah is saying, God delivered us then, and he hasn't changed. He is going to deliver us again. And then he's saying that God is going to break the yoke. And what he is saying here, a yoke was a big, heavy, wooden thing that um, they placed over the necks of, like, cattle or oxen, and they attached that to a plow to um, plow. (laughs) Um, But he was using it as an image of slavery. And what he is saying is that God is going to bring freedom. Uh, freedom to the people. Verse 5, for every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. All war will be no more when God's hope arrives. What is the hope? Let's read on. And listen, I just love how this is worded. Verse 6, For a child will be born for us, for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. A child is going to be born, and his birth is our hope. His birth means light. His birth means joy at the harvest. His birth means freedom from slavery. His birth means freedom from slavery and peace instead of war. A king is going to be born, a royal child, who will bear the burden of government on his shoulders. Verse 6. And he will be named... Let's think about this for a second. Because in the Old Testament, names actually meant something. Um, they meant... Like the person's character. They, or the person's destiny. So he will be named Wonderful Counselor. And in this setting, it it didn't mean like a therapist. (laughs) Um, It referred to a military strategist. This is going to be a king. He's a political planner, so he's wise. And he's going to be able to strategize and accomplish feats of salvation and deliverance. Mighty God, everlasting father, this child is called Mighty God. This son is everlasting father. So Isaiah is envisioning that this child to be born is the embodiment of Israel's God, of his faithfulness, of his mercy, of his mission to bless and save. This child will be the embodiment of the father of eternity who is coming to live with his people. Prince of Peace this might be the one Hebrew word that we all know. Peace. What Does anybody know that word in Hebrew? Yeah, shalom. I'm going to take a drink because my mouth is so dry. Sorry, you can hear it. I have a thing with sound. <laughs> shalom, yeah. But peace only um, means about half of that word in Hebrew. Peace means the absence of conflict. And in Hebrew... Um, Shalom does mean the absence of conflict, but it means the presence of other things. It means um, the presence of unity, of relational harmony, of friendship and tight-knit communities that result in safety and security and abundance. He will be the prince of shalom because his reign will usher in all of these things. Verse 7. Where is it? You should really see how big my font is. (laughs) I didn't want to wear my glasses. (laughs) The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. His reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness, he's going to set all things right. From now on and forever, the zeal, the passion of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. We have hope because what God initiates, He sustains and He fulfills. The grace and the redemption, His grace and redemption always have the last word. When we enter into Advent with the ancient Israelites, anticipating the coming of Christ in the incarnation, this is where we begin. But Advent also reminds us that awaiting the final coming of Jesus, this has always been our ultimate fulfillment. What we long for most is not found until the end of time. The great apologist C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I, find myself, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout coming from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Now, listen to me. This is the first time I've read that without crying. Because what hit me about this scripture, I'm going to read that part again. And I heard a loud shout coming from the throne Who sits on the throne? It is God. God is shouting, and he is saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He is excited to be with us. That is his goal all along, is to be with his people. (laughs) How exciting is that? I was just bowled over. (laughs) Oh, come on. That'll preach. (laughs) The return of Jesus isn't scary, as well-meaning Christians in the 70s, 80s, and 90s made it out to be we should be longing for the coming of our christ just as the ancient israelites were longing for the first coming of the messiah and and as the bible shows us that god is longing to come back to meet us we should be longing for his return as tish puts it in her book (laughs) all of our longings meet their end in christ coming again bringing healing peace joy and an unimaginable wholeness in his wake The final return of Christ is the undoing of cancer. It's the utter dismantling of white supremacy and racism. It's the delivery of justice for the victimized, for the weakest and most vulnerable, whom the powerful have brutalized with seeming impunity. It's the regeneration of dead coral reefs. It's the end of global pandemics. It's the vindication of those falsely imprisoned, It's the weeping of children giving way to their eternal laughter. It's the death of death. We have hope because what God initiates, God sustains, and God fulfills. His grace and redemption always have the last word. So we see, as Christians, we anticipate the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus, and how we ultimately long for his return at the end of time. How, how we want him to set all things right. But what about now? How do we have hope for now? Well, we've been talking recently here at the Vineyard about how the Bible is one big story, right? All scripture is pointing to Jesus. Everything in the Bible meets and finds fulfillment through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And this passage in Isaiah isn't any different. Let's, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. When he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles... The people who have lived in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It has arrived. So Matthew's just connecting the dots for us. Jesus returning to this very region that was taken out by Assyria in the past is is a fulfillment of Isaiah's words, that God was gonna bring hope. He was gonna bring honor back to the same land again and use it for the staging ground, for the bursting of hope and the coming of the king to rescue his people. And Jesus is coming back to this land like 700 years after Isaiah had prophesied. Isaiah doesn't know God's timeline. He has no idea, but he knows that he can put his hope in God. We don't put our hope in our circumstances. We don't put our hope in what we can see. We put our hope in God's character. We have hope because what God initiates, He sustains and He fulfills. His grace and His redemption always have the last word. Let's go back to Isaiah 9 6 through 7. Matthew just told us that Jesus coming into the region of Galilee and announcing uh, his kingdom was the beginning of the fulfillment of these promises. So Isaiah had told us that when this king came, um, that the yoke and the burden of the oppressor, that the power of the enemy would be broken. Did Jesus do this? What enemy did the people think that the Messiah would defeat? Yeah, Rome. Rome. Everyone thought that the Messiah would defeat the oppressive ruler of the time. And in Jesus' days, that was Rome. But Jesus never came to challenge Rome. He did, however, set his sights on, on a, an enemy. <laughs> and that was the powers of evil. And the New Testament calls this evil by several different names. The Satan... The accuser, the diabolical one. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because we've kind of made a cartoon out of him. <laughs> a red guy with horns and a pitchfork. But the Bible is really clear about the nature of this evil. He's an, it's an accuser, a liar, a huge force advancing against humanity. Lying about who we are. Lying about who God is. Lying about who other people are. And Jesus was very clear that that was his target, the powers of evil coming against his beloved creation. So Jesus came, he announced his kingdom and he announced his target on that enemy of evil. Look at verse six in Isaiah. And the government will be on his shoulders. Did Jesus take the government on his shoulders? He took a Roman cross on his shoulders. He got a robe, he got a crown of thorns, he was exalted and lifted up on a cross. The four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John show us the surprising way that God fulfills his promises in this upside down kingdom. God wins by giving up his life, he conquers by losing. He beats death and this is our hope. We have hope because what God initiates, God sustains and God fulfills. His grace and his redemption always have the last word. And this is our hope in the present. This is our hope in the here and now. This is the already and the not yet. This is how we see Jesus stepping into our present circumstances. This is him bringing his kingdom and his will on earth now as it is in heaven. This is how we celebrate Advent and find hope in our present circumstances. Jesus is here. Jesus defeated death. And he is able to break into our current situations. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's Nazarene in me. <laughs> there was no reason in Isaiah's day to be optimistic, but he boldly set up this bright vision of hope. And it didn't have anything to do with Israel's circumstances, but everything to do with God's promises. And it's just the same for us today. Our circumstances might not scream hope, but our God does. We have hope because what God initiates, He sustains and He fulfills. His grace and His redemption always have the last word. So, how do we prepare our hearts for the three comings of Christ this Advent? Well, as long as Advent has existed, there have been three core habits and practices. That have uh, that Christians have taken up to prepare: prayer, fasting, and giving. <laughs> These are tangible ways to learn to follow Christ, not only with our minds but with the entirety of our beings. A way to practice to begin to practice Advent would be to pick up the devotional booklet that the church has created for us this year. These booklets include stories, scriptures, reflection questions, and practices to help to help us um, walk through Advent this year. Each devotion is centered around a personal story provided by one of us people here at our vineyard here. <laughs> um, and these booklets will be out in the lobby when you leave today. There are also um, family devotions. Um, we ask that you just take one per family. There are personal devotions that each person can have and then family devotions, that one per family and uh, your kids, grade school and under, um, will have extra materials that they'll be given in class. So make sure you pick up uh, one of those today. But right now, I'd like for us to enter into a time of contemplation. This might be the only time we get during this busy season. (laughs) So I think it's imperative that we remind our minds and hearts to slow down a little and reflect, to enter into the waiting of Advent, Pastor and author Brian Zahn put it this way. I would suggest that we are not so much waiting for God to act as we are waiting to become contemplative enough to discern what God is doing. God is always acting because God is always loving his creation. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always inviting us into their house of love. But when we are consumed by anger, harried by anxiety, and driven by impatience, we're blind and deaf to what god is actually doing in the present moment let's begin with this responsive reading we don't always do that here but i just thought it was a a good time to maybe practice this i'll read and then you read the bold then we'll just end with a prayer exercise the advent of the lord is near I want to stop for a second. <laughs> I just, let this, like, let the words really, like, sink in to your hearts and minds. This is a really, it's a really interesting, uh, deep reading. So, really listen to what, what we're saying. Not that you wouldn't. I'm not trying to be rude. <laughs> um, but really just let these words sink in as we read them. We don't have to repeat that. But I think we do repeat it, so we'll just go with it. Uh, (laughs) The advent of the Lord is near. The advent of the Lord is near. This is a season of preparation. Oh, that's me. (laughs) I'm really good at this. We prepare for Christ, who broke the barriers between us and God, each other, and God's creation. This is a season of watchfulness. We watch for the one who heard our cries and shattered the suffering of our world. This is a season of promise. We wait for the promised coming of Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, God in us. This is a season of reflection. We expect to be transformed so that we can serve in God's kingdom as bearers of light. This is a season of fulfillment. We await the promise of God's kingdom, wholeness, reconciliation, and plenty for all. This is a season of joyful anticipation. We anticipate the day when God's glory will be revealed. To all people together. I'd like to just pray over us now. I realize that uh, I've thrown a lot at you today. And there might be people who um, would like prayer. Um, and at the end of this if the prayer team would just stay and come forward uh, there will be people up front to pray with you if you have anything that um, you would like prayer for today there are always people available to pray so please come Um, but right now if everybody would just bow your heads and close your eyes maybe just get in a comfortable spot Take some deep breaths. I'm just going to pray over you. And when we're done, that will be the end of the service. You're free to leave. Pick up your devotion on the way out. Come back next week. Johnny will preach if you didn't like what you heard today. (laughs) Um, Just be expectant this week. Be expectant as I pray over you now. Um, Invite the Lord into your hearts and minds. Just wait. I'll give us a few moments just to wait now in the quiet. Hopefully this isn't all the quiet you get (laughs) this Advent, but Holy Spirit come. Lord, whose light shines in the darkness, have mercy upon us. Christ, whose birth gives hope to all, all of creation, have mercy upon us. Lord, whose advent brings joy and love, grant us peace. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Give us our food for today, and forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Into our troubles and weaknesses, into the barren places of our souls, come Lord. Come in, come among us and make us whole. Into the war-torn and the refugee, Into those who live in conflict, come, Lord. Come in, come among us and make us whole. Into the homeless and the unemployed. Into those who feel abandoned, come, Lord. Come in, come among us and make us whole. into the sick and the disabled into those with COVID and cancer and depression come Lord come in come among us and make us whole into the poor and the starving into those who are oppressed or abused or trafficked come Lord come in come among us and make us whole Into the lives of loved ones, into those from whom we are estranged, come, Lord. Come in, come among us and make us whole. Into our joys and celebrations, into our work and achievements, come, Lord. Come in, come among us and make us whole. Oh Lord, we long for your coming. Hasten the day when those who seek you in every nation will sit at your table. Hasten the day when suffering, when pain, when sickness, when oppression and death will be overcome forever. Hasten the day when we will be resurrected as a multicultural family and live in peace live in harmony, joy, and love together in your kingdom. Calm us to wait for the gift of Christ. Cleanse us to prepare the way for Christ. Teach us to contemplate the wonder of Christ. Touch us to know the presence of Christ. Anoint us to bear the life of Christ.